Welcome to Mere Utterance, the podcast where we explore small stories and the big impact they have on our lives. In this episode, we interviewed Lachlan Hart. This interview was both hilarious and heartwarming, as Lachlan takes us on his journey all the way from childhood to parenthood. Along this journey, we explore how a grade A student became a punk rocker, and how a lifelong love of dinosaurs turned into a career in paleontology. Lachlan, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. I'm going to start with the, the usual question. How would you introduce yourself at this point in time? Well, it depends who I'm introducing myself to. It's <laughs> a good one. I wear a lot of hats. I would say, to sum it up, I'm someone who is still learning. So in all aspects of my life and no matter what hat I'm wearing, a lot of the time it's a dunce hat that I'm wearing. <laughs> yeah. um, That's a beautiful so, response. Thanks. Which hat do you wear most, I wear aside the, from the dance hat? <laughs> yeah, I wear the dad hat. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I mean, I know that might be a bit of a cop-out answer. No, but, uh, not at all. So I've got four kids uh, between 10 and four years old, four that, boys. Four boys? Four boys, yeah. That's intense. It's pretty intense. I didn't know it was four it's, boys. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> fun, chaos. Yeah, and so a lot, large part of my life, uh, when I'm not working – is being a dad. Yeah. Um, but going back to the thing, I'm still learning, you know. <laughs> what are you learning about being a dad? Uh, everything. Yeah. So people don't tell you that <laughs> uh, you're not ready to be a parent. <laughs> and even when you are a parent. And I thought I was ready to be a parent, you know, the first time uh, we had our when we had our first child. And um, – <laughs> I remember holding Orlando in my hands and thinking, I'm not ready for this, but I'm a dad now. And yeah. Yeah. What's that feeling like though? You're holding your kid. You're suddenly a dad. It's a new role. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. All those things. (laughs) They don't come with a manual. No, they don't. And I wish (laughs) they did. And actually I've been pretty blessed because my mother-in-law is a midwife. Really? Yeah. So, like, she's, like, totally into and above and around everything to do with babies. So, semi-emmanual. Yeah. Well, she, she was my manual. And, right. Yeah, <laughs> I would ask her, oh, what do I do? What do I do here? And uh, my wife, having, you know, grown up with her as a mother, uh, was has always been quite in tune with babies and what to do with that. So... Uh, yeah, I was wearing the dunce hat for quite a while yeah. as, a, as a first-time dad, and yeah. I feel like I got better at it. I was going to say, does it get easier with, with more children? <laughs> uh, well, I've had a lot of practice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Uh, so, as I said, that, that would be what I'd spend most of my time doing, doing and still learning about. Yeah. yeah. And it, you make mistakes. Totally. What's something that you've learnt being a dad that you couldn't have learnt elsewhere? Um, that's uh, – there's so, so many things that you've learnt. Again, this might be a little cliche, but you learn the unconditional love. Really? And you don't really – well, for me personally, uh, I didn't really feel that until I had children of my own. Really? And they were totally dependent on me to do everything. everything. <laughs> um, they can't do anything. Baby, human babies are useless uh, yeah, compared like to like all other babies of the animal kingdom. Who are up and standing and <laughs> like a, a baby whale <laughs> is born and it can swim almost straight away, right? Yeah. Baby humans can't even hold up their own head. Yeah. Like it is, yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So it's that unconditional love, and that's developed through the fact that you are basically their everything. Mm. For the first year or so of their life. Yeah. I learned that I could do a lot of things simultaneously. Yeah. On very little sleep. <laughs> on very little to no sleep. Uh, yeah, including, you know, feeding two children at once or <laughs> trying to put, you know, put two children to bed at the same time or three children to bed or, yeah. That's a, dropping. That sounds intense. Sorry, I've got my dog in the background yeah. and I'm going to call it out because she's like... <laughs> You're she's talking and she's kid. like hacking up a lung in the background. She's just and and she's just a weirdo. Like <laughs> I've not yet learnt conditional like unconditional love. Definitely not with my crackhead dog. Yeah. Well, <laughs> just, 
the, the difference between children and dogs is that I can't put the kids outside if they start annoying me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's so true. <laughs> um, we could put her outside too. She'd cry. She'd cry. She's yeah. She's she's a nightmare. She'd cry. No, the parenthood thing's interesting because I think that the value of society and it's the expectation that you have kids and you know you go through the parenting journey. But you're right. Like there is no manual. Everyone does it differently. Every kid's differently. And so every lesson's completely different. Yeah. And the I guess the other funny thing is that I've come to the realisation as, as I've been getting older as a parent that my parents were me Yeah. in my memory. Like yeah. I can remember when my parents were 38 uh, – because I was like, I was eight years old when my mum was thirty eight, for example. Yeah. And so I remember that very clearly. Wow. Like I was in year three or something in year. So I remember being in year three, and so my mum was that age. Yeah. But at that time, I thought my mum's really old, and my mum's got it all together. She knows how to be a mum. That's the thing. She's got the thing. And <laughs> then, and then now that I look back at it and realise, well, my parents were that age at the no, same time as I am, and. There is times I'm making it up as I go. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I remember having that revelation as well and sort of being like, hang on a second, you guys, are, you guys are making this up. Like, you've got no clue. And neither do I. And I, I have a sneaking suspicion that that doesn't change at all, ever. Which uh, is mildly horrifying. Well, uh, I mean, as I said, I've got better at it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I just got better at thinking on my feet, better yeah. at improvising. Uh, better at multitasking. Yeah. And then when you have multi-children, you have to multi-multitask. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and look, we, we rely a lot on the kindness and love of others. Yeah. Uh, so. Wait, tell me about that one. <laughs> oh, so for example, uh, th- my three oldest sons all play soccer on a Saturday. Right. We have one car. Uh, <laughs> uh, and quite often they're playing in three different parts of Sydney at the same time. As you do. Fun. So I would take one in the car. Yeah. Uh, my wife would perhaps jump in an Uber with another to another field. Oh, my God. Uh, then we are asking people like my brother-in-law or my father-in-law or friends of my kids who are in the team or the coaches of the kids in the team to come and pick them up and take them. To, and they... It's the village, right? It's the village. And, like, especially, like, my wife's family, like, I can't speak any more highly of them. Uh, They live, you know, close to an hour away from where we do, and they would come out and be at our place at, like, half past eight in the morning just to take my kids to, like, you know, a park soccer game. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. It's it's really really nice. Yeah, it's to, to have that deep familial not reliance, but we can we we can rely on them. Wow. You know? yeah. yeah, totally. Has that always been the case? Did you grow up in that sort of family that was closely connected and? Yeah. 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 My um my parents were very loving towards me and my brothers. Yeah. Uh, so I've got three brothers as well. So I'm one of four boys as well. Uh-huh, so so you know what it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> now I know what it feels like. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but your mother's going, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's totally normal to me, right? Other yeah. people might think, oh, four boys, that seems like a really, you know, strange or like intense kind of household. But that yeah. was my household growing up. Yeah. And now I've created it again. <laughs> well done, well done. <laughs> yeah. So, no, and my, my parents were always really encouraging of things that we wanted to do. Yeah. And like, fostering our interests yeah. and like each me and my brothers we all we all had our own little niche thing that we liked and I never felt like I was uh fighting for time to be yeah. with my parents um I don't know how they did it to be honest uh because there are times where I feel like as a parent I feel oh you know I, I really wish um I could divide myself four ways so I could spend an equal amount of time with all four of my kids yeah but I never felt like I was missing out on anything when I was growing up, being one of four with my parents. So, yeah. yeah. What was your niche thing? My niche thing? <laughs> Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. <laughs> Paleontology. Yeah, that doesn't uh, tie into what you do at all, does it? No, not, not, <laughs> not at all. Um, and it's, it's actually super funny. 
Uh, and still a little bit surreal that I can say, hey, I'm a paleontologist. Yeah. Um, I mean, can I officially say that? I haven't finished my PhD yet, but I've published papers in paleontology. I work at a museum. You can say it. I can say you it, You can right? say it. You can so say it. But it, it, it's, it's so surreal for me to say that really? because it was my dream as a yeah. kid. Like, I was that annoying kid that was at family gatherings that would go around to each of my aunts and uncles and say, oh, did you know that the Pachycephalosaurus has a really hard head? <laughs> and then uh, and they said, oh, that's really nice. Well, can, you know, go, go tell Uncle John about it. And so I'd go to Uncle John and, said, and I'd say, oh, Uncle John, you know, Stegosaurus had a really small brain. Oh, that's really nice, Lachlan. Go, <laughs> go tell you know, Auntie Sue about it. And then and I'd be, yeah. So yeah, you're having the time of your life. I was having the time of my life just facts. telling like all these people random dinosaur facts and no one cared. They just wanted to get rid of me because I was annoying. Um, <laughs> Uh, but my parents always encouraged that in yeah. me. Like they, they would, you know, buy me dinosaur books and uh, if there was a documentary on the TV, they would tape the dinosaur. Doc- and I, I didn't grow up watching a lot of Disney movies or Wizard of Oz or any of that type of stuff. <laughs> I was watching like nature documentaries and dinosaur documentaries on replay or VHS. It's like, Heck yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's totally dorky. It's like <laughs> yeah, it's great though. It's great. What, do you remember what sparked it? No. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I love them from like a super young age. My mum said I was like maybe three or four and Whoa. I just became like latched onto this idea of dinosaurs. Yeah. I remember that my eldest brother had a book that had some dinosaur stuff in it and he was always quite possessive with his stuff. Like he didn't like his younger brothers touching his <laughs> things because he didn't want them to get wrecked and fair enough. Yeah. But I kind of coveted this one <laughs> thing because I couldn't have it. Of course. It was this dinosaur book. And I'm like, well, yeah. And so maybe that kind of fueled the obsession a little bit. It wasn't Jurassic Park. I was well into dinosaurs before that. Right. Uh, and then a bunch of my friends got into dinosaurs because of Jurassic Park. So it kind of made it cool for a little while. Yeah, you know, yeah, I wasn't yeah. even free. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, was, it was cool to, you know, we were dino dudes then yep. for a little while. and. Um, <laughs> Dino dudes. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. That's Di- good. No, it was still dorky. Look, it was either Beyblades or dinosaurs. Like, oh, come the on. Bay, Beyblades were, yeah, after my time. Oh, my, my, oh. Kids, my kids <laughs> got into Beyblades at school, and I'll tell you what, you have not felt pain until you stepped on one of those without shoes on. Oh, they hurt so much. Like, it's worse than Lego. Like, really? <laughs> yeah, Beyblades. Because they've got these the metal things. That, yeah. yeah. And they yeah. stick up into you. Yeah. That, and so I've, I've had plenty of uh, fits with my own children <laughs> about leaving Beyblades on the floor. Um, yes. sorry, I'm sorry for bringing up that trauma. <laughs> uh, I'm, yeah, I'm walking through the house in the dark and stepping on Beyblades. It's, it, yeah, yeah, it's nightmare. fun. Nightmare, nightmare. <laughs> okay, so you you are a paleontologist. I am. You, that was your childhood dream. It was. Was it a linear progression from three-year-old obsessed with dinosaurs to... 30-something-year-old now paleontologist? I wish it was. Yeah. Um, actually, no, I, would, I, don't, I wouldn't take back anything. I wouldn't take back any of my experiences of what I had. Mm. But, no, it wasn't linear. So I had this obsession with dinosaurs when I was young and I was a really kind of good kid all the way through primary school and I was the vice captain of my primary school because I was a dork, right? Right. And the teachers liked me because I was like a nerd and yeah. uh, I was harmless because I liked dinosaurs and played the saxophone. <laughs> Um, uh, <laughs> dinosaur has saxophone kid. And so, um, You're painting a really, really nice, clear picture for me. And I had a side part. And, oh, I love that. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was good. It was really good. Um, <laughs> those, those were the days. The, the, those were the days. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I was like, I was like the school public speaking champion. Like I was, I, like, that was my primary school years. Like I, I look back on it fondly. I really do look back on primary school fondly, but uh, yeah, then I kind of got to high school and teenagers, you know, the teenage hormones, I guess, kind of kicked in a bit. And I realized that being the dinosaur kid or the dinosaur teenager now wasn't going to uh, win me many popularity contests or all yeah. the attention of females. Um, Girls don't dig dinosaurs, apparently. No, not until they actually go on a fossil dig and they <laughs> are digging them and they say, hey, this is really cool. Uh, but having said that actually just to sidetrack a little bit I am really really happy and encouraged to see that there's more and more females getting into paleontology and geology recently so in the past say five to ten years I see a lot more undergrads and postgrad students who are females getting into geology and paleontology Mm. which is 
super encouraging. What do you, do, or do you have any idea what is attributed to that? Um, because you, I don't know. No, I mean, I'm, I, I can't really speak for the, the female experience there. But That's a massive uh, green flag. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but what I can say is that um, I think a lot of the stigma around it has been removed. Right. Um, and by stigma, I mean it's an old man's game. Yeah. Yeah. Right. If you picture the archetypal paleontologist, it's this guy with a beard, wearing the slouch hair. hat. Yeah. He's got the pickaxe. He's wearing a flannel and that, shirt. And, heart, yeah. and he's got the belt and, yeah. yeah. But that's, that's not what most paleontologists look like these days. No. So as part of that, and actually part of that is to do, it can be thank, Jurassic Park can be thanked for that because <laughs> like the character of Alan Grant in Jurassic Park, a little bit kind of stereotypical, but not totally. Yeah. And yeah, so I think some of that has, removing some of that has made it a little bit more enticing and accessible to a whole broad yeah. range of people. Yeah. 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 Do you think that, and I mean, I ask this from your personal experience as well, is it an easy field to get into? Is it a a break into? Um, Like, I don't feel like I've totally broken into it yet either. Right. So. uh, And you're finishing your PhD. So I'm in the third year of my PhD. Yeah. I've, you know, I've got a handful of publications in paleontology. Yeah. Uh, I have a you know, a part-time position at the Australian Museum in paleontology. Yeah. Uh, but I still don't feel like I've totally secured my place in the field yet. Yeah. It's uh, And I, I don't think that's just paleontology. I think that's a comment on, like, academia and yeah. academic pursuits in general. Why is that? Because it's a little bit – I guess it's a little bit fickle and there's a whole lot of uh, reliance on, like, these – short-term postdoc positions that, you know, you, you go somewhere for three to five years for a job and you get to do like a whole bunch of cool research, but then you have to find another job and you move around again, you move around again and move back and forth. And there, there's not a great amount of stability in academia worldwide. Uh, worldwide? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a worldwide thing. Wow. Um, having said that, I'm not, I don't have an aversion to teaching, which a lot of research-focused academics do. Uh, and when you teach, you can get like permanent jobs as lecturers and things like that. So, Would you like something like that? Uh, I mean, yes. Yeah. If anyone's listening, yes. <laughs> Hi, Employment. me. I put on the hat. <laughs> yes, I, I, and it won't be a dunce hat, I promise. It'll be, be teacher hat. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll, be, it'll be my puffy PhD hat, you know, the one that has the... <laughs> Yeah, 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 the ones with the yeah the, that one. The squishy. I'm using hands and not my microphone. So. No, we're both using hands to <laughs> do the squish thing. But uh, what, what's that hat called? Floppy. It's called a floppy. Floppy. <laughs> <laughs> Is it seriously what it's called? Or oh, the Harry Potter hat. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you do you own yours? Yeah, it's in the other room. Yeah. So, uh, um, <laughs> floppy. Yeah, floppy. <laughs> yeah. Floppy. So the floppy PhD hat. Uh, I'll be wearing that. <laughs> um, yeah, so no, I wouldn't be, I mean, that's the other part of my journey that we kind of haven't touched on here yet, that I'm actually a trained teacher. Okay. Let's go into that. So, yeah. So let's, we've let's, gone from, we've gone from dinosaurs to realizing that. Dinosaurs aren't cool. Yeah. So <laughs> I. In, in high school. Yeah, in high school. So, so piece, piece together for So me. piecing together that, um, <laughs> How do I piece that together? I, I feel like um, we have to go back further, part like beyond the like before the teaching. Yeah, I think so. So I went to high school, found out that dinosaurs weren't cool, and so <laughs> I was, you know, I, I had a nice bunch of friends that I've known for quite. I've, I've done some of them since some primary school. We all started listening to what we'd call alternative music at the same time. So punk and metal and grunge, and these are still my favourite bands. I still love listening to. And so that kind of became a big part of my identity. Like actually the main part of who I identified myself as being. Um, I identified myself as being, you know, a a punk rock musician or, you know, just just a punk rocker. Um, You know, I I had the the bleach blonde spikes going on and, you know, I, I tried 
and failed miserably at riding a skateboard. <laughs> and uh, I also taught myself how to play guitar and bass guitar. Awesome. Which one do you prefer, guitar or bass guitar? <sighs> Depends. Um, if I'm <laughs> if I'm playing by myself, you can't really jam around by yourself on a bass. That's true. It's kind of lame. You're doom, doom, doom. <laughs> so if I'm just like playing by myself for my own relaxation purposes, I'll play guitar. If I'm writing songs, I'll play guitar. But I'm quite happy to jam around with other people and pick up a bass. Cool. And so, yeah, I, actually one of my good friends taught me like the basics on a bass guitar because he wanted to start a band and he, he was playing the drums and we had another friend who played guitar and yeah, we were a three piece punk band. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. So it was in year That's nine, so, I think. Mean- I yeah. didn't know it was that early, year nine. Yeah, year nine. So Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and, and yeah, we're, we're called Nephron. Um, Nephron. Yeah. What's Nephron? Um, so, <laughs> so that came from, I think it was uh, my friend Warren, who was uh, the drummer in the band. He was looking through a science textbook and he saw the word Nephron. Um, in, this, in this science textbook from school. I love that it's still based in science. Yeah, I mean, what they, this, I don't think this was intentional because we just thought it was a cool word, but yeah. a nephron is a tiny little hair and you've got like hundreds of them inside your kidneys, I think, and they're part of like the urinary processing thing um, because like I think like a disease of the kidney is called nephritis or something like that. So, yeah, so... Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, we'll call nephron and like I, it, was, it was a bit weird to kind of explain that name to everyone. Because we actually didn't – I still – Yeah, but how punk you guys, you know? Right. It's, yeah, it, we're named after something that, you know, filters blood and produces urine or something. <laughs> I don't know. It was weird. Yeah. Um, Very on brand. Yeah. Uh, and, like, we tried to write a few of our own songs and they were pretty bad. <laughs> then borderline offensive. Actually, not even borderline offensive. <laughs> just, just actually like, offensive. Just, just actually offensive. Yeah. And – Because you were raging against the – Raging machine. against the machine, man. <laughs> um, jaded, jaded you band students. That, that's it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that were being driven to gigs by my dad in our um, <laughs> in our Nissan van, um, <laughs> totally raging. Um, <laughs> Let down by the institution. Totally. Got to get out those, um, those you know, heels. Not supported by the school that let us play gigs there and stuff like that, and entered us into band comps. Not supported at all. But we we ended up being more or less a glorified Blink One Eight Two cover band, and no problem there. Uh, that band is pr- very much a product of the 90s, like yeah. the mid-90s, and a lot of their jokes are very off-colour now if you listen to it back again, and that's kind of what we <laughs> yeah. based all of our content around. Yeah. Um, it wasn't even the content of the songs, like the banter that they had in between songs. And right. like We would, yeah, anyway. How did that go down? Was that received well? Or? Uh, it depends who was listening. So <laughs> by my mum, not so much. Yeah. By our mates, they thought we were funny. Cool. So <laughs> funny, funny is probably. Was, were you going for funny? Or <laughs> it wasn't a bad like thing to be cool funny. And, yeah, uh, I, I, no, I, I don't think cool was ever. I mean, I said you know I got out of dinosaurs to try to be a bit cooler, but <laughs> when you're doing something like, especially like in the area that I was growing up in, and the kind of uh, what was big in the kind of mid nineties, that kind of counterculture sort of statement that we we're making by being alternative punk rock musicians yeah. <laughs> wasn't really a popularity vote anyway because yeah. we still weren't in the majority crowd at yeah. the school. Yeah. But we were happy with ourselves. We were comfortable in our skin. We, were, we had our own groups of friends. So anyway, this is a long way to get to how I got to teaching. <laughs> Um, it is, but we, I feel like we had to so, definitely go over the, the yeah, punk rock. Yeah, so I, I guess that kind of punk rock rebellion kind of kept going through me and I thought for a long time, even like after I finished school for a few years, that I was going to make it as like a musician. I was going to be the bass player in a famous band and yeah. Nephron didn't survive after high school, but we had I was in other bands after that. But, uh, yeah, it was – I guess because of that, I kind of wanted to put my foot down as being my own independent person – and my way of doing that was trying to bludge my way through school. Right. Just be an absolute bludger. And so I did. And it's funny that I say this now because I am a scientist, but I didn't do any science in year 11 and 12 at all. See, I, this the last time, me. I, yeah. Because you're, you know, in year three of your PhD and you did no science. Nope, none. So <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, the last time I did science in high school was in year 10. And to be quite honest, I wasn't learning uh, my entire goal in year 10 science was between me and this other guy in my classroom to see who could get sent out of the room the quickest. <laughs> who won? <laughs> uh, my friend did because we literally walked into the classroom. He pretended to cut the teacher's head off with a sword. Uh, it was a fake sword. It was an invisible sword. Yeah. Oh. But then he got sent out straight away. Oh. And that was it. Oh. 
like it was like no, two she, seconds into the lesson. We no, hadn't even sat down no, yet. I was going to the bar was low then. Yeah, we, we, we hadn't even sat down yet. But um, <laughs> um, funny things you remember, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway. So I didn't do any science in year 11 and 12, but just prior to that in year 10, I did work experience. Mm-hmm. I had a two-week work experience and wanted to have, like, two different experiences of work experience. So I thought, I'm going to go to the music thing for my first week. And so I did work experience in a music shop in Liverpool. And uh, I spent the whole week, like, restringing guitars and putting heads on drums and yeah. pretending to talk to customers. And I really <laughs> didn't know much at that stage. Like, I'd only been playing music for a year and a half or something. Oh, like, wow. Or playing guitar for a year and a half. Yeah. I, I was playing saxophone before that. But I didn't really know much about guitars or how to sell them or anything like that. But I enjoyed the time in the music shop and I felt a bit like an adult. And then the second week, I needed something to do. And I didn't (laughs) – I had, like, no idea what I was going to do for the second week because the music shop couldn't only take me for one week. Right. And so I was talking to my parents about it and my mum said, well, why don't you come to work with me? And my mum is now a retired primary school teacher. Yeah. I said, okay, mum, I'll come to – I'll come to school with you. I mean, I mean, it was easy. Like I could go in with her in the morning. I didn't have to be driven anywhere. Like totally. it was, it was like totally easy. Right. And she said, and I'll even like, you can be in my classroom. Like you don't even have to be with one of the other teachers in one of their rooms. Uh, I said, okay, cool. And so I did. And I learned a bit about my mum that week. Really? Yeah. So it was a side of her I hadn't really seen. I mean, mum always had this kind of air about her as the teacher at home yeah but seeing her in her element in the classrooms is something totally different like my mum was a total natural in the classroom really yeah and she, she loved it she loved being in the classroom and again funny things that you remember but for some reason it sticks in my head that for one of the lessons she was teaching when i was in that week she was doing like a a child protection lesson with the kids and so they were talking about private parts oh, of their bodies and hearing my mother talk about this yeah <laughs> She hadn't even spoken to me about this in my like in my life. Like, that was my dad's job to speak to me about oh stuff like that, right? Um, that was pretty funny. Um, no kidding. So yeah, I, I still laugh about that now. But yeah, anyway, like I interacted with the kids in my mum's class, read them some stories, helped them with their work, and mum said, "You know what? You're actually pretty good at that." Um, okay, and didn't really think much about it. As I said, bludged my way through a year eleven and twelve. Yeah. Um, didn't do any science, and uh, <laughs> I guess I was a little shocked surprisingly by the fact that even though I got quite good like exam marks for my end of year 12 exams, the, my university entry, which was called UAI back then was like mm. terrible. Like that. Rank really? Was, yeah. It was like my, my marks were between, you know, 68 and 80 something for yeah. like the subjects I did. And my U, U, UAI was 50. So oh. I got, I got, t- yeah, I got. What? A, a, um, it's because I did, they scale it, right? Yeah, they scale it because I did bludgy subjects. You know, yeah. I, did, I did music and drama and multimedia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and easy maths, the one that they give you the formulas in on the front page. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. like, who needs to remember formulas? Exactly, no one. <laughs> um, so, yeah, anyway. So I didn't know what I was going to do then because I thought, oh, I was going to, like, maybe get into you need to do an arts degree or something like that and kind of feel my way. yeah. Guilty, yeah. Around there, been and mum said, Well, why don't you think about getting into teaching? I said, Well, I can't, mum. Like, I've got this thing that there's a bad mark. And my parents paid for me to go to a college, which was like a bridging course for like, I think for one term, six months or something like that. Really? And it was basically a pathways thing. So, really? Yeah. To, to so get into teaching. To get into teaching. There was only like three different pathways you could exit from this course. One was teaching, one was an arts degree, and one was oh, something else. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. And yeah, so I did that. Yeah, I'm again, as I said at the start, I don't, I wouldn't take back any of the experiences I've had. And at the time, I felt like a bit of a loser because I was doing this bridging course thing. And there was people in this course that they actually struggled through school, and they just wanted to make a fist of it, like to get into university. And then I, I didn't struggle through school, and I had a natural ability, and I knew it. I just wasn't using it. Yeah. But I met my best friend when I was um, at that at that college. Okay. So, um, yeah, we just we just clicked straight away and he was playing guitar as well, so we kind of clicked over the music thing. Yeah. Punk as well? Um, he was into more uh, – no, he has, a, he has a broader palette than I do. <laughs> uh, so he was, he, was, he was into, like, the, the punk music and the rock music. His favourite bands like the Chili Peppers. But he was also really into, like, good guitar players like Eric Clapton and – Oh, my um, gosh. Yeah. yeah, and he's a good guitar player. Um, <laughs> way better than I will ever be. 
And yeah, so then we kind of hit it off and we tried to start a band together and it didn't work. And yeah, so I finished that bridging course and then went into the teaching degree. Wow. And I did that for four years and... That's a lot of study for... Yeah. So I, at this stage I had been studying, well, I had been in formal education since I was four, I guess, at preschool. Oh, and yeah. so then I was, I would have been 23 or 24 when I finished my first degree. Had you let go of the rock star dream or did you no. still solidly think you are going to be a rock star? I totally thought I was going to make it still and I thought the teaching was just going to be a side hustle. Right. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, if you look at my, my first couple of years of teaching, I'm standing, you know, the class photo. Yeah. So I'm standing there like next to my class and there's Mr. Hart with his class <laughs> and I've got like my long hair down to my shoulders going on and, you know, <laughs> just, uh, yeah, like a, a visible neck chain and things yeah. like that. I, I was still trying to be, I was still trying rocker. to be cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> punk a primary teacher. Totally. And like at that time uh, I was actually playing in uh, two bands. I was playing in like a punk band called Sunshine Winnebago and <laughs> I was playing bass in a, a funk rock band kind of Chili Peppers inspired with my best mate oh, cool. um, called Forgotten Sons. That particular band probably had the best chance of getting somewhere, but then we kind of imploded on ourselves like bands often do and just you go. You've got, had, got you've had the arc too soon. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah, it was, that was it. So what was the transition that made you go, I'm going to be a rock star to, and, you know, teaching is my side hustle to, was it then like, oh, actually I'm going to be a teacher or was it I'm going to go back into paleontology? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't actually remember. I don't remember like where like one stopped and the other one started. Um, Yeah, so like I was teaching and it was – I would have been in my third or fourth year on class and I thought to myself, I don't think I want to do this forever. Really? Yeah. What was that thought like? Well, I, I, look, I had just secured a permanent place at a really nice school. Prior to that, I, had, I was a year um, at a really difficult school. It was like super tough. I had a year six class there. I was in my third year of teaching. Um, I still didn't really know what I was doing Mm. and um, it was tough. And like the the kids here came from tough backgrounds. They all had really hard stories and I lost myself there. Like it was hard for me. Everything I thought I knew about teaching, I thought, you know, I understood I did four years of uni. I'd I'd been teaching in classrooms for two years before that. Yeah, kind of, I kind of lost it there. And, you know, there's... I remember there was times where the kids would go home from school and I'd literally shut myself in the storeroom and cry. Really? Yeah, it was it was tough. Yeah. Um, and I was lucky enough that I had some friends in the teaching world uh, who kind of helped me find this new position mm. at the nice school and gave me good references. And I went there, I did this interview, and I got the I got the job. And that was that was probably my last kind of gasp at uh teaching yeah because i don't think i would have survived at that other place for much longer yeah i just i just couldn't yeah and yeah it wasn't close to home either so i was driving out you know for quite a while to get to this school and it just was was, punishment all day yeah it just and there was no there was no reprieve from it right yeah was there something that you learned from that experience at all or was it just (sighs) like a hellish experience look i i think i did it's hard to kind of say or sum up exactly what I did learn from it I guess one big takeaway that I I do have from that is that as much as you think you know about something as good as you think you are at something you don't ever be so sure on yourself Mm. because yeah I I walked in there thinking you know I I knew it and I was I was gonna smash this and I was and it was, yeah, I just wasn't prepared. Wow. Um, and I could never, like, get my footing. And it was, like, a year that was really tough. That's not um, It was also the year that I got married. So there was <laughs> extra stress of planning a wedding on top God. of that. Wow. Yeah. So kudos to my wife for putting up with me through that time. <laughs> uh, yeah, and still going through with the wedding after me being... That's uh, it, Test, uh, testing being the foundations. Wow. Yeah, so then I got this position at this nice school and uh, the kids were much easier and I had support from the executive at the school and you know, I was making some good friends with the other teachers there and it was all fine. 
but I still wasn't feeling fulfilled. And I thought to myself, I don't think I can do this for the rest of my life. I can't see myself doing this for another like 40 years until I retire. Mm. That's a long time. That's a long time. Um, So that's when I kind of reflected on myself and said, well, what do I really enjoy? What do I really love and have a passion for? And, of course, the music was still there. Yeah. And I was still kind of dabbling in a bit of music and that was I wasn't feeling unfulfilled in what I was doing musically. Because that's, that's sort of like your creative... Yeah, it was a creative outlet. And, you know, when I get the chance, I still kind of noodle around on guitar or, mm. you know, record some bad songs. Or, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I thought, well, I need something that's going to challenge me on a, like an academic level. And then I thought, well, why don't I go back to what my first absolute passion obsession was and try to learn paleontology? Wow. And so I enrolled in an online course. Uh, I was doing one subject at a time as a postgrad. So I did have to go all the way back into the undergrad. So this was a master's? No, this was a graduate certificate. Wow. In in science. Okay. So I started a graduate in science through UNE in Armadale. Um, And I was doing one subject at a time and going up to do like a residential school for a week for each of the things. Um, and I did that for a couple of years. So I got the grad cert and I did it again for the grad dip. And then I got to enter the grad dip and my the person who was at UNE who was doing paleo, I spoke to him about what to do next. He goes, well, you should do a master's. But to do that, you need to uh, probably live in Armadale and move up there and do the master's on campus and be part of our paleo lab. Wow. And so... That so, so so I did. Um, wow! <laughs> and I say that really easily. Yeah, I was going but to say it was bloody huge. And yeah. um, it's I asked a lot of my family. I asked an incredible lot of my family yeah. to do that. So for a bit of context, Armadale is about seven hours north of Sydney and inland. It's a long way. And uh, we knew nobody there. Uh, at the time, we had three kids. Don't say, did you have kids? You had three. At we the had time. three at the time. Uh, How- my wife, my wife was on maternity leave with our third when we moved up. Wow. So he was less than six months old when we moved up. Yeah. So we moved up there for me to do my masters. At the same time, I was still teaching. So I, I resigned from my permanent job at the nice school that I had that I was at for five years down in Sydney. I resigned for that position, and I was teaching casually. In the schools around Armadale. Was that terrifying to resign from that and move? 100%. Your whole I, I clung to it for as long as I could as yeah. like a safety blanket. But then right. they rang me up and said, Lachlan, we need to fill this position at this school. Are you coming back? <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was terrifying. It was also a new terrifying experience to be a casual teacher again. <laughs> I'd been a permanent member of staff, a known respected member of staff at the same school for a while. Mm. I had my own things and the, teacher, the kids knew who I was, the parents knew who I was and I was coming in. I was this new casual teacher again. So I had to kind of establish myself again mm. and I had my name down at like, there's a ridiculous number of public primary schools in Armadale. There's like seven. Wow. Yeah. For a small town, they've got a lot of schools. Yeah. And there was a couple that kept calling me back to do casual days and I was happy about that. I had a couple of challenging days as well, um, dealing with kids that didn't know me and, again, kids from hard hard backgrounds. But overall, my school teaching experience there while I was doing my master's uh, wasn't bad. Mm. Um, The only thing that did was take away time from me doing my actual master's degree. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Because you teach a day at school, you don't want to, like, go back and read or do anything. No, Um, not at all. You're You're asleep, right? Exactly. Plus three kids. Yeah, so we, we had the three kids... Um, and, uh, it took a long time while we were there for, um, for my wife, Leslie to find work again, because her work was in Sydney as well. And she works in the aviation industry. Wow. So, uh, yeah, there's not much of an aviation industry in Armadale. There's a tiny little airport, which is about as big as a McDonald's. And, um, (laughs) so she ended up, um, going to Tamworth every day for work, which is like two hours hour and a half each way. Yeah. Wow. Hour and 40 each way. So she was doing that, but that only started after she'd had our fourth. So she was at home for a while being the stay-at-home mum, doing all the wonderful parent mum things, house things. 
And yeah, I, I, I still can't thank her enough for that sacrifice that she made for me. Yeah. Because um, it was huge. It really was. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask too, how do you wear the dad hat when you are doing a master's and casually teaching and, you know, away from, you know, all your sort of like roots and friends and that sort of thing. And you're exhausted. Like. Um, you just do. You, you have to because who else is going to? Yeah, and as scared as that unconditional love, you, you find the energy. Wow. And you find the motivation. And as I said, sometimes I feel like I'm not doing the best job because I am tired. <laughs> um, you know, I don't have any energy. And especially if you've been teaching all day, like you're, you're teaching primary school age kids and you come home to a household full of them. Yeah. But again, you see it in a different way because they're your own kids and – I think that's an experience that only people who are parents and teachers can truly kind of comprehend mm. <laughs> because, yeah, unless you've been in that position, it's hard. Like, yeah, your eyes are boggling just at the thought of it. and um, <laughs> They are. They really are because. And as I, and as I said, like, I've just had, I've had the most incredible support from my wife. That's, uh, she's allowed me to chase my dreams, you know, at the sacrifice of a permanent teaching job and mm. at the sacrifice of a house we had. And, you know, there's there's been a lot of sacrifices made for me. So, no pressure. Um, no pressure at all, right? <laughs> um, and so, anyway, I did the Masters. I ended up submitting that a year and a half earlier than I intended. Really? Wait, so how long did it take you then? Um, I, I, I could take – because it was part-time. I think I could take up to five years. And I, I did it – I submitted it in like three and a half years or something. Wow. Yeah. And that was a master's by research? Yeah, master's by research in paleontology. What did you – So I researched fossil crocodiles. So Cretaceous-age fossil crocodiles from Lightning Ridge. Yeah, that's a good topic. Yeah, so – All the topics to do, like <laughs> – Opalized fossils. It was, it was amazing. Opalized fossils. Yeah, opalized fossils. And so I got to name new species of fossil crocodile. Um, so, again, I'm living my dream. I'm just like – doing my thing that's awesome i'm yeah i'm naming species like this is something that i dreamed of doing when i was a kid yeah, and that's doing so cool it, right? okay and when you say opalized do you literally mean fossils that have turned to opal 100 percent. that's so cool yeah they are cool um and so lightning reads I, I, I don't know how opalization works i'm not a geologist don't even, i'm only going to try to explain it Tar- Tara knows. Tar- t- Tara she's knows. saying she'll tell me later yeah yeah <laughs> Um, something to do with silica and like heat and pressure and I mean that that's rocks that's just what they do yeah um, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah and so Lightning Ridge is the only place in all of Australia all of New South Wales that has dinosaur fossils uh, um, there's places in elsewhere in Australia but it's the only place in New South Wales um, and I'm pretty sure it's the only place in the entire world that has dinosaur fossils that are opalized wow. That's incredible. Yeah. There's opalized fossils that are found elsewhere, but I think the dinosaurs are only found in Lightning Ridge. Yeah. So, yeah, that was my master's thing and I did that. And while I was finishing my master's, just finished my master's, I uh, actually prior to that, I came down to Sydney to work on some fossils that are here at the Australian Museum. And uh, I met uh, Matt McCurry, who's the curator of paleontology, while I was visiting uh, and we started chatting. I said, well, you know, I was doing my master's at UNE and all that type of stuff and kind of that was the end of the conversation. Got along well with him and then I thought to myself, well, I'm about to finish my master's. The next logical step after doing a master's by research is a PhD. That may not seem logical to many people to, to keep studying. After, as I said, I've been studying now since I was four years old. Yeah. I had – two to three years off in between when I was just teaching full time. Yeah. And since then I've been like studying again and like I'm 38. Like it's <laughs> but, you know, every person in academia who I speak to, they always say, well, it's the next logical step. And I've just finished my master's too. And for me, it's, I'm feeling like I'm languishing a bit. And so it's like, <laughs> well, the next logical step would be for me to do a PhD. Like what um, else could I possibly it's, do? It's, it's just logical. It really is. No, <laughs> yeah. it's, um, uh, Logical or something systemically wrong. That's <laughs> yeah. So I started, um, and I, I knew that um, Matt had a position at the University of New South Wales as well as the museum, so he could take on PhD students. So I had a chat with him. I said, oh, "Do you think there's a chance I could come back to Sydney and do a PhD at UNSW and the Australian Museum?" He said, "Absolutely, you can." And so that's where I am. Wow. And so that's 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 the journey. That's. <laughs> 
That's fantastic. <laughs> that's incredible. That's, yeah. a, that's a great journey. Um, it was long. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and it's ongoing. <laughs> it's definitely ongoing. Um, it's, uh, I'm definitely not through it yet. Uh, and so you're in your third year. In the PhD. third year. What is your PhD on? So my PhD is on a group of extinct amphibians called Temnus bondles. I'll say that again slowly. That sounds like Temnus a punk rock. Bondles. Yeah, Temnus bondles? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a punk rock band name. We're the Temnus bondles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, <laughs> rage against the Temnus bondles. Um, <laughs> so good. Okay, so. Um, yeah, so there's this weird group of um, extinct amphibians that are kind of uh, distinct, uh, like distant great ancestors of living salamanders and frogs. Wow. And they've got really weird teeth. That's one of the strange things about them. They have, like, mad fangs and tusks and all this weird stuff going on. But they're basically a glorified salamander. Um, but some were, like, crocodile-sized, big crocodile-shaped oh, so heads. Huge. Huge. Uh, some were huge and some were tiny. Really? Yeah. So some that had heads that were, like, shaped like a massive toilet seat. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> they're a cool, weird, really niche group of things. Which is perfect um, for a PhD. Totally, because <laughs> the whole point of a PhD is becoming an expert in a very, very tiny part of a huge field, right? And so yeah, you become that guy that knows that stuff about that one particular thing. That's it. You've done the full circle. And now when you're at family get-togethers again, you can be like, did you know? Yeah, did you know? That, bundles? Exactly. You yeah. know, Kula <laughs> he was the last known tennis bundle that lived in Australia. And yeah, no. Um, so... <laughs> That's a true story, by the way. Um, <laughs> I didn't make that up. <laughs> well, you are the expert, so. Oh, not yet. You know, I haven't graduated from the PhD sorry, yet. So sorry. Almost. I'll, hopefully I will be an expert at it one day. Yeah, so the, uh, that was kind of the thing that I chose to do because the museum had some really good fossils of them that right. they needed to be studied. So, again, I'm going to be naming a brand new species, genus and species of Temnospondyl from a fossil in the Australian Museum. It's amazing. It is amazing. I can't say the name yet because it's course, not published. No, but, you let's know. not do that. <laughs> That's so um, exciting. I think Tara's seen the fossil. Um, it's, it's really cool. Yeah. Do you, you said that you left primary teaching because it wasn't super fulfilling and it wasn't something that you could do forever. Is this fulfilling? Is this something you could do forever? It's uh, a very yes. big question too. Yeah. First of all, there were parts of being a teacher that I did find really fulfilling. So it's, it's a, a, it wouldn't be fair to me to say that I didn't like the job mm. because there were so many parts of it that were so incredibly rewarding. So seeing change and growth in students and, you know, parents sometimes often like to give teachers the credit for that. But for me, it was more, it was the kids. The kids. They did it. These are their accomplishments, not mine. But seeing them achieve these things and seeing kids that perhaps were written off in the past because they might have had a behaviour problem or they had, you know, a bit of a rough family life or something like that, to see them achieve and to see them improve, that was so fulfilling. I so empathise with that too. And, like, to see how proud they've become in themselves is really cool too. Yeah, and I always felt quite... I don't know if embarrassed is the right word, but when parents would like really you know, heap the praise on me, oh, you know, Mr. Hart, you're a great teacher. Thank you for doing that for my... So what? And it wasn't me. I didn't do it. Like mm. I, I can provide the teaching. I can provide the information. I can provide an environment for them to come into this classroom and learn, mm. but I can't force them to learn. <laughs> I can't force them to uh, change their behavior. I can't force them to take risks and, you know, put themselves out there. Uh, that's all on them. Yeah. That's their own development. Yeah. And they're the ones that should be proud of what they've done and they're the ones that should be getting the praise heaped on them, not me. For sure. Um, so, yeah, there, there were definitely parts of the job that I found super fulfilling. Is, um, is there a way that you can nurture that transition in kids, though? I guess, yeah, like I said, having that type of environment in – yeah. Like when you're a teacher, especially a primary teacher, because you have the same classroom and so they're always coming to you. Uh, so you're a constant thing in their life. Mm. Um, as you know, A lot of kids come from broken homes or there's a lot of kids that may not have, in my case, a father figure in their life and 
that was something I struggled with a lot when I was younger as well because I was like teaching my first class when I was like 22 or 23. Wow. And I didn't have kids back then. Like I was, I was pretty much still a kid myself. Mm. And these kids were looking up to me as like a surrogate father figure. It was very overwhelming when I first started that. And yeah, so I think in my classrooms, I always just try to encourage an environment that was just open and kids felt safe to take risks. And when I take risks, I don't mean, you know, parkour off the furniture. Um, it was... Because they will try, given uh, the chance. And they did. Yeah, but um, the amount of kids that asked me, can we just leave via the window? And it's like, no, no. no Every time, no, the no. answer will be the same. I yeah. mean, I would like to myself, but no. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to do it now. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> Cut the ball. Um, no. Um, it, uh, no, it's more like uh, the taking risks in their in their learning because, and I guess this is a good way to kind of circle back what I said at the start about I'm still making mistakes. Mm. A mantra that I had when I was teaching and I guess I still have now is that you need to make mistakes to learn. And if you're not making mistakes, you're not learning because you already know it. So you've got to make mistakes to learn. It's so true. And that's something I really tried to drill home with the kids that I had in my classrooms. It's okay to make mistakes. And I said to my own kids as well at home, you know, they said, oh, dad, I got that wrong. You know, my my six-year-old sitting at the computer doing like mathletics homework and he got a question wrong on it the other day. And he's like, oh, no, he's getting kind of all worked up about it. I'm like, Lorenzo, it's okay. It's okay to make mistakes. That shows me that you're learning. And it shows your teacher that you're learning and it shows your teacher that the parts of your learning that you just need to, you know, focus on a little bit more and, oh, Lorenzo knows how to do this. He's not quite getting this part, so let's, you know. Do you see, like, a sigh of relief when that hits home? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Do you embody that as an adult yourself too? Because I feel like, for me, I fit. here's the thing, like, I think as a kid – if an adult, if a trusted adult told me that, I'd be like, okay, I'll, I can, I'll figure it out. I've made the mistake. I'll improve. But I I feel that as an adult, I'm a lot less gracious with myself because it's like, should have figured this out by now. Like, come yeah. on, the time for mistakes is done. Like, yeah. it's time, which I think impedes growth, really. Yeah. Um, it's funny because, y- yes, adults are like super self-critical. Mm. And I'm super self-critical of myself as well. And, yes, when I make mistakes, I'm like, oh, God, I stuffed up. Like, I really stuffed up. And, yeah, I am harsh on myself. And then I try to remind myself, well, you know, got to make mistakes to learn, Lachlan. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You teach yourself. Yeah. You must Uh, have yourself. But but kids are also really self-critical as well. They they can be, like, super hard on themselves. Mm. I've heard kids, you know, they make one mistake on a math test or a spelling test. Oh, I'm so dumb. And like, no, no, you're not. No, not. You're not dumb. <laughs> you're really not dumb. You made one mistake and now you've made that mistake. You're not going to make it again, are you? Exactly. And, oh, no, I won't. Well, then you've learned. You're actually very smart because you learned. Mm. Yeah. So to just bring back to your question, I am finding what I'm doing very fulfilling now. It is definitely what I want to do. I can see myself doing this for the rest of my life. What a relief. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm pushing 40, so yeah. um, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll only be working for another, you know, 20-something. That's it. The time has reduced. 20, 30 years max, I guess. Yeah. So I guess it's it's as much shorter time period. Like, but And especially after I finish the PhD, that's another year, year and a half, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I can see myself doing this in the long term because – it's what I wanted to do all my life anyway. Yeah. And I just, I, maybe I was just too, too afraid to like let myself be that person. Um, Ooh, wait, why? That's because, really interesting that you say that. Because like, when you're a teenage boy, you don't want to be the dork. You don't want to be the nerd. You don't want to be the kid that you know loves reading dinosaur books and you know can recite every dinosaur under the sun and you know knows what (laughs) period the woolly mammoth died out in and nobody cares about that nobody does 
especially yeah, when you're you know 14, 15 and you you know you want to get the attention of girls, girls are not interested in that in high school. <laughs> they're, they're interested in the boys that are gonna you know be loud and be silly and you know stand up in front of the class and maybe get on the stage and play your guitar, you know? Like you, <laughs> <laughs> you live to the best of all worlds. I, I tried and I think I <laughs> Yeah, I, I probably failed at the <laughs> in, part, at, in part, in part, in, in part. But I had fun. So. Yeah, that's it. Isn't that? Yeah, there you go. You learned. You failed. You know. You grew. You know. But all the things that you try to instill in your own children. You, but as I said, I'd never take it back. Yeah. I, I would not take back any of my experiences mm. because they have helped me learn. Yeah. And I've. I don't think. I'd be where I'm at now and having the, I guess, success that I'm having now Mm. had I not done what I'd done before. Yeah. Is there a pivotal experience that shaped who you are? And Um, I know that we've just talked about a whole bunch of them. um, I guess one thing, I guess one catalyst, one kind of turning point in my life was uh, when my dad died. Mm. Um, So I was super close with my dad. Um, me and all my brothers were actually like he was uh, we all looked up to him like he's still my hero now like I just um, yeah if, um, if I could you know, you know that whole meme if you could sit on a park bench next to someone for half an hour who it'd, it'd be my dad. dad and I've made no secret about that like for, forever yeah so it really shook all of us when he did die mm. it was really tough on uh, my brothers and my mum and he was, he was a great guy. He was, like, really selfless. He was a incredible husband, incredible father. He'd always put the family first before himself to the point where, and this I guess this sums it up really well, is that it was at the time I was studying my, uh, my post-grad stuff and so I was going up to Armadale to do those residential schools every now and then. And he was, like, in the hospital in his deathbed. Like, he was not going to make it another couple of weeks. Mm. And I had one of these immovable red schools that I had to go to and I had to leave, you know, in a week and a half or something. And I, 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 I'd said to Dad, Dad, I, I can't go. I said, not when you're like this. I said, I, I said, I'd never forgive myself if something happened to you while I was away. And he turned to me and he said, no, you go because I'd never forgive myself if I stopped you following your dreams. And yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. And that, that's just the measure of the guy that he was. Yeah. And in the end, I didn't have to make the decision because he passed just before I had to go away anyway. Wow. And so I still went. I did the thing because he told me to. Yeah. Um, and that was that was the toughest res call I've ever been oh, on. Oh, I bet it was. Um, but I did. I did it. And then I came back and then – but, yeah, and that was, you know, not long before I made the decision to move up to Armadale to do the Masters. So – Yes, I, had, I moved up there for the Masters, but I think moving out of Sydney for a while and moving away from, you know, my parents' house and things like that, I probably a little bit selfishly needed that. Mm. I needed that time. I needed that space. Mm. And, yeah, so that was – yeah, and I'd like, I still carry that with me. Of course. And I, I, I always will. But, yeah, that was – yeah. Impact, so impactful. Yeah. Was it also his belief in your dream or your... Well, my dad was, like, super supportive about all my dreams. Really? Yeah. Like, he he was the one that was loaning me money that I never paid back to buy, <laughs> to buy a new guitar or a new amplifier. Uh, he was the one that was driving us to gigs and... He'd turn up to our gigs. My dad was like our biggest fan. Oh, not not of the offensive punk band so much. Maybe you know the the Chili Peppers inspired band he did like. He, he was selling our CDs to his mates at work, and um, he had the band T-shirt, and he'd rock up to our gigs wearing the band T-shirt, like standing in the front row. That's, like, it that's was, a good dad. Um, <laughs> so even though he probably knew deep down that we weren't going to ever make it big he still showed up um he still showed up and he still supported and yeah so he was super supportive of all all the things that me and my brothers we all pursued so yeah he was obviously supportive of me finally chasing my dreams to be a paleontologist yeah did that did that model for you the type of dad that you wanted to be 
Yeah, it did. And <laughs> as I said, he was like incredible at everything he did in the like the family department. And I feel like I'm a bit unfair to myself because I it's hard for me to reach that kind of lofty aspiration that he was because you know he like he didn't put a foot wrong as a father or a husband like he really didn't again no pressure no pressure (laughs) right i mean he probably saw himself in a completely different way like i am here reflecting now on my own experience Mm. if he was sitting down here talking to you now he'd probably say oh yeah no i made this mistake when lachlan was three and you know when michael did this and yeah and we'd be like okay yeah it was um i always felt supported by my parents and by my family uh to do what I wanted to do, even though, you know, I, I, I probably went a long way about it. <laughs> Got there in the end, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so is there anything that you're currently learning about or that you're currently curious about? Um, it, like aside from what I'm aside doing from my PhD? The PH, aside from the PhD, yes. Um, or is that your – and if that's your main, you know, thing well, at the moment. Well, see, the, the thing is, is that – I guess it's got to be my main thing because it's all-consuming. When you're doing a PhD, it is what like you think about before you go to bed. It's what you think about when you wake up in the morning. They're your shower thoughts. <laughs> it, 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 it really is. Yes, Tara's Tara Tara ag- <laughs> aggressively nodding. <laughs> um, so, yes, I mean, I, I love learning about paleontology and like especially now like my little niche of tenderspondyl amphibians are I reckon they're really cool I'm still I still like reading and you know I still like learning little things that I didn't know before about music um, I'm reading at the moment I'm reading um, Flea's autobiography the bass player from the Chili Peppers so he, he wrote an autobiography I'm reading it at the moment yeah. so yeah just reading about his life and yeah, just little things like that to, to break up you know reading about fossils all the time <laughs> Um, you know, it's like, you know, 15 minute train kind of thing that I do sit down and just chill my brain out and just yeah. do something different. Yeah. What would you say to the kid in primary school, secondary school, wanting to get into STEM and to pursue science? Um, <laughs> well, be a punk rocker first. Be a punk rocker first and don't do science in high school. <laughs> uh, sage wisdom right there. Um, I would say, well, you know, I would say that don't feel like your what you've done in the past dictates what you get you can do now i got into doing this postgraduate science thing because i had my degree in primary school teaching and i didn't have to go back through and do another entire undergrad again Mm. uh i could just pick a post some postgraduate courses that suited what i wanted to learn uh because i had a degree in teaching yeah and primary school teachers as you know are all encompassing they teach everything they teach everything from science math english everything Hmm. PE. I had to teach dance. Like, <laughs> that, like music, okay, I could do that. But, like, dance, dance. I've got two left feet. Like, I, 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 so I it was am, just solid head banging for like a full. It was solid. Watch this video on YouTube <laughs> and copy what the dancers are <laughs> doing. Like, every good teacher. Um, or finding another teacher at the school who could dance and say, right. okay, we're going to do a class swap. You're going to teach my kids some dance and I'll teach your kids some music. <laughs> And that, that's, actually, that's actually a really smart way of doing it. Yeah. For all those future teachers out there who think they can't dance, you don't have to. <laughs> or, or do art or do music or do any of those, like, talents-based things. Collaboration. Collaboration is the way to go. Yeah, look, any kids out there that want to study paleontology or want to study any science or they just want to, you know, they want to do robotics or they want to be an astronaut or whatever, don't write yourself off and don't think that you won't ever get there. Mm. Because you're never too old to like do what you want to do. You know, I had a bit of a not 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 an epiphany. I don't want to say an epiphany, but because <laughs> that's kind of a bit conceited. But I I had this kind of realization that before I started the PhD, I thought to myself, well, am I too old to be doing this? Because at the time I was probably 35, I guess, when I started the PhD, 36, something like that. And I knew a whole lot of people younger than me who already had their PhDs and they had already been working in paleo. You know, there were people who were superior to me who were the same age or younger than me. And I thought to myself, well, am I too old 
to be doing this? Am I being silly? Should I just go back and teach? You know, mm. it was something I was good at. I didn't hate it. So, you know, maybe I can just go back and, you know, I can just chalk this up as a fun little thing that I did and I pursued it for a little while. But I guess I came to a realisation that, well, in four years, you're still going to be nearly 40 with or without a PhD. Yeah. So you might as well try to get the PhD. That's that's actually extraordinarily encouraging. And I will be the, the child listening to that news and saying, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Totally resonate with that. Thank you. Final question. Is there anything that we haven't talked about or haven't covered that you'd want to say or talk about? And no is a perfectly viable answer. Oh, um, <laughs> We've covered a lot. Well, well, I mean, what would you like to know? I mean, this, <laughs> I, 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 I love talking, obviously. I like telling stories about my life and the experiences I've had. And I guess live, laugh, love. When in doubt. Uh, <laughs> I broke up. <laughs> She's gone. Um, no, actually, no, I do know what I want to say there. Um, well, I think we touched on it a little bit, but I really want to uh, drive home the fact that I couldn't have done anything that I do or anything that I have done in the past, especially in the past decade, uh, without the support from my family. So, like I've mentioned how supportive my wife's been and the sacrifice that she's made for me, but my kids as well. <laughs> like, my kids have just been so amazing. You know, we moved from Armadale back to Sydney when they were quite young. Two of them were in school. One was in preschool. One was a baby. You know, and they just adapted and they went with the flow and they just did it. And they're, they're so, they've become so resilient to that. And I'm so super proud of them. Um, and... I think the message there for everybody is sure, you know, your successes are your successes, but you need to have people around you that put you up and believe in you and will support you. And even though they may not completely understand what you're doing or why you're doing it, uh, they're there for you. And I've, I've been lucky to have that my entire life from my parents right through to now my, my wife and kids. And, yeah, I think that most highly successful people are the ones that have that real strong support network behind them. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. <laughs> so do I. Right? I love that. Yeah, you know? You know? Yeah. You know, I do love that. <laughs> Um, thank you thank you so much for joining us and for coming on the podcast and being in here and having a chat it's been fun no worries thank you thank you for joining us this month as we interviewed Lachlan speaking with him really reminded us about the value of living wholeheartedly and in the present that life is too short not to follow what you're interested in and to pursue your passions no matter what it also reminded us of the enduring value of family be that the family that you're born into or the family that you create. The wisdom shared through his journey was also tempered with a large portion of humour, which made this a really delightful evening. We hope you enjoyed listening. At Mere Utterance, we want to create a community of storytellers. And so we welcome you to visit our website, check out our blog, leave a comment or send us a message. We would love to hear your thoughts on this conversation and would love even more to hear some of your story. Thank you again for joining us. And remember... Everyone has a story, you just need to ask the right questions.